Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. This is Cyrus, your usual host of this crazy effed up show. Hey, uh, today is June 20th. Happy belated birthday to yours truly. So uh, I can I consider it my birthday month, everybody. So go celebrate. You have permission to go have some drinks on me. I'm not paying for them. Just go have them. When you think of me, think nicely. Hey, so, you know, a while back, I uh, did a show on here. Uh, with a co-host, uh, Elizabeth Cooper, from the Caffeinated Cooper Show. And we talked about a place called the Murder Castle. And this was uh, the uh, story of H.H. H. Holmes, uh, which was considered America's first serial killer. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the show, go back in the archives and listen to this. Because this guy was absolutely disturbing, to say the least. Uh, there's a book that was written about him called Devil in the White City uh, that took place in Chicago uh, during the uh, World's Fair of the late 1800s. So this guy actually had a building built that had all the entrapments there to murder people, throw them down what they call the murder chute, down into the basement where he would incinerate them. <clears throat> he actually had an underground tunnel going across the street, uh, underneath the street. So <clears throat> some wild stuff. Um, and so recently, what, what, the reason I bring this up is recently I, I was watching, I don't know, it might have been the History Channel or the Travel Channel or maybe one of those history or crime channels on Pluto, whatever it was, I saw this. Um, uh, it was a documentary on Jack the Ripper. And this is such an infamous story, and like this goes back, you know, for a, you know, a long way. So I guess... They were trying to draw a connection between Jack the Ripper and H.H. H. Holmes. Is it the same guy? Okay, so I decided I would do some reading, and I finished watching that show, but I thought this might be something interesting to talk about on this episode, because in the next episode, we're going to talk about uh, something creepy and crazy, that, like a recent unsolved mystery uh, that just will blow your mind, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth will be back to talk about that on the next episode. Um, but, you know, the Jack the Ripper murders, everyone knows about this. Um, so I'll not get into too much detail, but, uh, you know, this is like, you know, these, these murders, I guess, cemented this guy in the annals of history as one of the greatest whodunit murder mystery cases in the entire world. To this day, 
it's unsolved. The murders occurred in 1888. Back then, you didn't have the same police techniques that were used today, uh, or if they did have them, they were sort of, and they're, you know, the baby steps of those, the infamacy, I guess, the intimacy, um, intimacy, <laughs> Freudian slip, infancy. And uh, I guess they didn't really have a lot of forensic knowledge um, at all. Uh, there was no signed confession, no official arrest, no proof that the Ripper, who he was. So it's basically been unknown for since 1888, right? What are we looking at? 130 years, roughly? So this guy today, I guess, if you're a person who watches a lot of mysteries and unsolved mystery shows, this guy is like the father of modern-day serial killers. So it's the first recorded case of a serial killer in the UK. And at that time, you can imagine the hysteria that it caused the public. And just people terrified. Um, and this was like written in the newspapers every day. I refer to this stuff as fear porn. You can imagine just how bad it got. The entire city of London was under this dude's shadow and under his spell. And, you know, that legacy of the Jack the Ripper murders, I guess, still linger today, uh, especially um, around the area of what they call Whitechapel. Uh, it's where the murders took place. But, you know, can you profile the man Jack the Ripper? I guess back then they didn't really have profilers, but, you know, over the last hundred years or so, people have been studying this. And, um, excuse me, I had to pause because I had to sneeze. Um, so I guess it's possible now that people could build some sort of profile of Jack the Ripper. What kind of man was he? What, what drove this savage to do these horrible things and mutilations to these women? So anyway, I guess using more modern profiling techniques, people set out to kind of profile this guy. So I was digging around on the Internet. Some of the things I found that I just I jotted some notes down here. Just of what like random people, I guess, had profiled, had thought. One was that Jack the Ripper didn't kill for the purpose of torture, uh, not for financial gain, not for money. Um, the way that he killed, uh, the method that, that I they said uh, suggests that he killed quickly, right, which he did, and that the, mut uh, the mutilation of the body was probably the driving force behind the murder because he killed him quickly and then took his time mutilating him. Uh, they said that one of the profilers had said that he wasn't sadistic in the sense that uh, the infliction of pain was given him pleasure, but he would he would strangle his victims until they're unconscious, and then when they lay on the ground, he started performing this ritual mutilation on them, um, removing their nipples, removing breasts—just terrible, terrible stuff. So, according to profilers, this suggests that the killer uh, wants to dominate his victims. Um, with, you know, overwhelming power and sexual violence, the way he mutilated them. So they say it showed a deep resentment towards his victim where they he has to destroy who they are. And in 1888, um, no one really had seen anything like this. You know, the police would not have ever encountered anything like this. There was a book that came out called um, Hunting Human by a guy named Elliot Layton. And it shows how serial killers appeal, appeal to uh, appear to be like a social phenomenon. 
And it was rare. Apparently, it was rare until about 1950, uh, with maybe like one serial killer popping up every decade. In the 1960s, uh, here we we identified six serial killers. In the 70s, uh, that figure jumped to just under 20. In the 80s, it had shown a new serial killer every month in the United States alone. So since the 80s, I guess the study and research of serial killers has shown that certain patterns of behavior are recurrent, and they seem common to a certain percentage. So it's been learned that people generally operate in an area that they know well. They operate in a place where they feel safe. So it's likely that these people were saying that they were writing that Jack the Ripper probably lived in Whitechapel and lived among the victims. Uh, there was a piece of one of his victims, uh, Catherine Eddowes' apron, uh, that was dropped in the, on Goulston Street. They said that was a really important clue, that he carried that, and he must have been around, you know, lived around that area. Um, he was probably respectable in appearance and probably a charming type of guy, like a lot of other serial killers, like Ted Bundy, for example. Um... They were, you know, able to strike up conversations with their victims, put them at ease, put them off guard, that sort of thing. So, he, according to this, serial killers are able to connect with people's emotions uh, using uh, the victim's personality against them. They focus on a person's weakness and vulnerability, convincing them to do things that they would otherwise avoid. They become persuasive and charming, carefully dismantling their intended victim's cautious instincts, as I read. Um, so again, I mentioned Ted Bundy and he used that trick. He used that trick in court and he charmed everyone. Uh, he actually walked around with a sling, his arm in a sling to, you know, I guess so people would think he had a broken arm and would convince women to help him pick up heavy objects into the back of his car or whatever. Um, other times, I guess, I think he dressed up as a, as a cop at one point to gain trust. Um, he was actually executed in 1989. He confessed to over 30 murders. Um, and uh, experts that studied him, talked to him, they all said it was his good looks and his mild manners, charming manners, uh, that really led to his ability to even capture all the victims he did. So during the Jack the Ripper murders, I guess women would be wary of who they approached because everyone was on guard or they'd be really cautious about who they're left alone with, no matter how much they needed to earn money or whatever. So the, the fear factor was already there in Whitechapel and around London. So these prostitutes are on guard. So how did he still manage to get that close to getting them alone and killing them? So it had to be through charm and a respectable appearance. He had to be somebody that could put them off guard. Um, maybe he himself dressed up as a cop. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the mystery still out there. So, um, I guess a lot of people would say that you know, he, he, I guess, maybe had issues with psychologically, maybe hated his mother, maybe his mother was somebody that was incredibly controlling and do domineering, um, maybe mentally tortured, tortured the poor guy, yeah, the, the dude, maybe physically or sexually assaulted him when he was young. As he grew older, I guess his mother would come to represent all women, perhaps. 
and then he despised them all. It's possible maybe she was even a prostitute. There's so many possibilities when uh, these profilers were, you know, reviewing all the case history of Jack the Ripper that this this came up. Anyway, by the late 80s, uh, I think it was 1988 I read that the first ever profile of Jack the Ripper uh, was done by an FBI profiler by the name of John Douglas and uh, another guy by the name of Roy Hazelwood, also an FBI profiler. So they took the original police reports, medical evidence, and they come up with a list of characteristics that Jack the Ripper would have. Now, I'm going to read all 11 of these, and you can find this on a Jack the Ripper page. Um, this is where I found it online, just if you just do a Google search. I forgot the, the page. But um, Ripper would be a white male, probably between 25 and 35 years old, probably live local to Whitechapel or what they call this, what the Spitalfields area. He was probably a loner who was more likely unmarried uh he probably would have had not had a father figure as a young child um very dominant mother figure uh like i mentioned uh probably had a mental or physical disability or deformity which made him feel different from others or made him feel lesser than others uh, a solitary job which kept him away from social encounters uh seen as quiet and timid to those who knew him he would be perceived as a little odd. Uh, beneath the surface, uh, again, is a deep, resentful aggression, um, which uh, explodes during bouts of low self-esteem. And the last trait that uh, here, he would not feel guilt or remorse for his crimes, and in a way, consider them justified. There's something that was written by the special agent Douglas, and I'm going to read this. We would look for someone below or above average in height and or weight. May have problems with speech, a scarred complexion, physical illness, or injury. We would not expect this type of offender to be married. If he was married in the past, it would have been to someone older than himself, and the marriage would have been for a short duration. He is not adept in meeting people socially, and the major extent of his heterosexual relationships would be with prostitutes. The offender does not look out for the ordinary, or does not look out of the ordinary. However, the clothing he wears at the time of the assaults is not his everyday dress. He wants to project to unsuspecting female prostitutes that he has money. He comes from a family where he was raised by a domineering mother and a weak, passive father. In all likelihood, his mother drank heavily and enjoyed the company of many men. As a result, he failed to receive consistent care and contact with stable adult role models. This could have resulted in the would-be serial killer having an introverted nature, lashing out violently as a result of his frustration. And there's more to this. Um, in all probability, Jack the Ripper was like one of these people, ordinary, but only on the surface. So this was... Uh, Really, really interesting stuff. Now, he Jack the Ripper had several different victims. And if you go to the case book, um, let me just go over real quickly the victims that this guy had. Uh, there was Martha uh, Tab uh, was it Tabram. I think maybe we had a show on this a while back, too. Uh, 
she was not one of the uh, the five, right? Martha Tabram was considered to be connected uh, with the Jack the Ripper murders for a long time due to her identity and the nature of her murder. Found in August of 88 on a landing in George Yard. Martha Tabram had 39 separate stab wounds inflicted with two different weapons. Um, she was unlikely to be the... A later discovery in the mid-20th century resulted in a general consensus that she was unlikely to be the first Jack the Ripper victim. Uh, there was Emma Smith, who was the earliest recorded victim in the Whitechapel murders. Um, she died in April of 1888 in a London hospital. Uh, she lived on George Street, uh, which is the Spitalfields area, and was generally known to be a prostitute, though there was much mystery surrounding her life. Right, So she uh, died you know, the rupturing and inflammation of the tissue inside her abdomen. Her death was caused by the attack of Jack the Ripper on the evening of Easter Monday on April 2nd, which kicked off the Whitechapel murders that spanned from 1888 to 1891. There was also Mary Ann Nichols. Uh, upon investigation, her throat had been cut multiple times to the spine, uh, one having penetrated the spine along with brutal, savage abdominal injuries. Uh, her death caused much speculation in the media, and she would later be known as the first of the canonical five Jack the Ripper victims. There was Annie Chapman, who was a 47-year-old woman living on Hanbury Street. Uh, she was also, um, she worked in the flower crocheting and tried to make ends meet, resorting to prostitution when times are hard. She was found dead on the stone steps leading from the back door of her three-story Hanbury Street home. Uh, she was discovered by another resident at about 6 a.m. Again, throat cut, body mutilated. Um, and that was, you know, again, sent the area into panic. There was Elizabeth Stride. She was a Swedish native uh, with a history of prostitution before she moved to London, uh, using the inheritance money from her mother's death. Um, she lived a pretty good life in London before things fell apart in her marriage, and she resorted to prostitution again which is likely what was going on the night of her death, which was September 29th, 1888. She was found ne uh, dead next to a Jewish anarchist club with a slit throat. Again, another slit throat. No other mutilations, though, which uh, made some people doubt Jack the Ripper's involvement. However, the freshness of the corpse uh, led many to believe that the Ripper had simply been interrupted before finishing his work. Catherine Eddowes was a 46-year-old um, victim with a difficult marriage in her past. Again, fell apart, led to drinking problems, um, uh, and, of course, her husband had uh, violent tendencies, her ex-husband. Uh, Eddowes died in the early hours of September 30th of 1888 in a quiet corner in Mitra Square, or Mitre Square, is that how you pronounce that? Uh, reports uh, from locals said that... Uh, Tracked her movements quite accurately with reports of her taking a man only 10 minutes before she was found dead. Uh, again, body viciously mutilated. Um, and that's when people began to think that Jack the Ripper had surgical experience because he had removed organs uh, from her body. Um, Mary Jane Kelly was considered to be Jack the Ripper's final victim. Uh, she had a mysterious past, and at the age of 25, was the youngest of the Ripper's victims. Kelly's death was uh, particularly violent, 
Her body was found inside her home in Miller's Court, mutilated beyond recognition, with multiple body parts removed and placed around the room. Her death caused an uproar in the community with crowds forming at her funeral, and she is by far the most famous of the Ripper's victims, as well as the one that was most investigated throughout the years. There was Annie Farmer. Um, a lot of people think that she was attacked by Jack the Ripper. At the, she was, uh, this was not even 48 hours after Mary Jane Kelly's brutal murder. Um, Annie Farmer is a 40-year-old divorcee who had taken to a life of prostitution to make ends meet. Um, her wound uh, was stitched, and she, she actually survived this. Um, upon meeting a man uh, and taking him to the lodging house in George Street, uh, the man was seen running out of the building, and Annie Farmer followed, claiming he had attacked her. Her wound was stitched. She was taken to the hospital, uh, and you know, the media... Again, went into a frenzy. Rose Milet, Kathleen, Catherine Rose Milet was 29 at the time of her death. Uh, she was nicknamed Drunk Lizzie Davis due to her infamous drinking habits. Um, she was uh, killed in December 1888. She was last seen drunk with two men before going uh, before uh, being found in Clark's yard at 4:15 a.m. Um, her death and the inquest around it didn't suggest that she was murdered by Jack the Ripper, but it did demonstrate the poor communication with the police force. Um, and so that actually, which was a common issue around there, they didn't really communicate very well with each other. There was another victim, uh, Claypipe Alice, Alice McKenzie. Um, she's called Clay Pipe because of her smoking habit. She was 40 years old, and she died in July of 89, 1889. Uh, her body was found by a police officer with her neck cut and different stab wounds across the body, all of which were considered similar to Jack the Ripper of the previous year. Mackenzie was also an occasional prostitute, which matched the profile um, of, the, of the other victims, though there was still... Some conflict in the police whether this was a, a ripper um, killing or not. Frances Coles was a thirty-year-old, a thirty-two-year-old prostitute um, found all but dead underneath a railway arch in Swallow Garden near Chambers Street. She died on the way to the hospital from a slit throat, um, but no one really was able to determine if it's if her death was uh, because of the ripper or not. Um, her significant other at the time, who was a sailor named James Sadler, uh, he was suspected and was charged, but later acquitted. This was actually the final murder that mar of, of the Whitechapel murders, so not all of them could have been pinned on Jack the Ripper. Now keep the time frame in mind. So Jack the Ripper was one of the most famous serial killers, like I said, between 1888 and 1889. Uh, as butchering suddenly ceased, and a new Chicago-based serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes, was discovered at the height of the Chicago's World Fair in 1893. So, is H.H. H. Holmes actually Jack the Ripper? You know, Jack the Ripper is known for murdering prostitutes on the streets of London. Um, there was another copycat killer later on called the Yorkshire Ripper. But 
his uh, violence towards sex workers was not uncommon in the late 1800s anyway. Even though prostitution was legal at the time, the one thing that made Jack the Ripper stand out um, was uh, the way he did it. So, the, you know... Um, H.H. Holmes, on the other hand, is considered America's first serial killer, like I mentioned. Uh, in the book, The Devil in the White City, if you want to go, go pick this book up, it's actually a really interesting book. It's written by a guy, uh, by uh, Eric Larson is his name. Uh, I think I still have that on my Kindle. Um, he was tried and hanged, H.H. Holmes was, for uh, 27 murders. Although... Some believe that this guy murdered over 200 people. So anyway, early in his career, Holmes charmed his way into owning a pharmacy. It's believed he attended medical school. It's also believed that he, like Jack the Ripper, used some medical methods to mutilate and dispose of his victims' bodies. He actually uh, often, this is the weirdest thing, this guy donated H.H. Holmes, if you go back and listen to that previous episode of the Gonzo Chronicles, he donated tons of human skeletons to medical schools. And I don't know why anyone didn't find it weird that how in the hell did he come up with so many just random skeletons to donate to medical schools? So I got to tell you, man, I you know, we think we live in weird times now. I don't think I'd want to be in Chicago in the 1890s. Anyway, the, the travel documentation and witness accounts also lend themselves to the theory that Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes are the same person. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but there's there's uh, some circumstantial evidence to show this. The biggest issue with Holmes and Ripper being the same crazy bastard is that one was in Chicago, the other in London at a time when international travel was not real easy. If you wanted to travel back and forth across the pond, you had to go by boat, which took about a month. It's a long time. However, the Ripper uh, killings ended in 1889 and the first Holmes killing at the end of 1889. So the Ripper ended early 89. H.H. Holmes began uh, began in late uh, 1889. So the timeline's possible. Uh, not only that, but it's recorded that a passenger by the name of H. Holmes traveled from the U.K. to the U.S. in that same time period. Not a, I guess that's a pretty popular name back then, or even now, but um, H. H. Holmes, his legal name was actually Herman Webster Mudgett. But is it possible? Maybe. In addition, there are accounts that uh, descriptions of the Ripper uh, the multiple sketch artists were able to come up with drawings of Jack the Ripper, which, oddly enough, look very similar to H.H. Holmes. Um, however, another uh, account describes the Ripper of having brown eyes and brown hair, um, which could you know mean anything, I guess. But even though Jack the Ripper was in London, it's possible he was an American. All right, so a famous... There was a letter that was published... Uh, in the media then called Dear, uh, called the Dear Boss Letter. And you can Google this. Uh, it's believed to have been sent by Jack the Ripper himself. So when linguists examine the letter, they believe that whoever wrote the letter was American. While that may be the case, I don't know. There's no way to actually confirm the letter was actually sent by Jack the Ripper. Uh, so there's real 
again, circumstantial at best. Um, the main reason experts will say that H.H. Holmes uh, will deny that they're the same person is that they had different motives, right? So Jack the Ripper went after poor women who were sex workers. H.H. Holmes typically was after money. So he was adept at moving accounts and signing life insurance over different aliases he had. If you go back and listen to the show, you'll hear all this stuff. Uh, he'd try to find people uh, disconnected to family or or murder entire families and siblings to take their inheritance. This guy was nuts. But while many experts believe those differ too much for them to be the same person, someone who murdered as many people as Holmes did probably enjoyed killing just as much as Jack the Ripper, if not more. So is it plausible they could still be the same guy? Yeah, in that regard, yes. Not only that, but Jack uh, the Ripper's final murder was different from his previous ones and that it seemed a lot more premeditated. The others maybe just were randomly thought about doing it, goes goes out and does it, and then maybe the last one was a lot more premeditated plan, so it's possible he sort of evolved. Um, Jack the Ripper was never caught, so that's another reason people think there's a link between Jack the Ripper and H.H. H. Holmes is because you know, the guy was never caught in London. Um, however, the evidence linking the two murders to uh, the two guys together um, is, like I said, circumstantial at best, and many think it's actually impossible that they're the same person. But in 2019, a report published DNA evidence claiming Jack the Ripper was 23-year-old Aaron Kaminsky, a Polish barber. He was actually a suspect during the murders, actually, during that time, due to a witness identifying him. However, the witness refused to testify, and Kaminsky was just dropped. Like, you know, he wasn't captured, or, you know, somebody pressed him on the kill. Uh, he later died of gangrene in an institution in 1919. Although the DNA evidence points to Kaminsky as the Ripper, there's no confirmation of the scarf that uh, tested the fluid, the sem you know, seminal fluid, actually belonged to the Ripper's victim. So it seems like the mystery of Jack the Ripper is always going to have crazy lore around it. Now here's where it actually gets a little bit more interesting. Um, this, there's a, like I said, there's a string of all these different similarities. And... Uh, there was actually a case book I actually pulled up. If I can find it, there was a guy who claimed he's actually a, a relative um, of H.H. H. Holmes. And, I, yeah, here it is. Um, Jeff Mudgett, who's a lawyer, happens to be the great-great-grandson of H.H. H. Holmes. This is the guy I saw in a documentary. He claims that Holmes and Jack the Ripper are the same guy, uh, which is, you know, again, this theory has been discussed by historians and I guess what they call Ripperologists, right? That's a, it's a term I read online. I th thought that was quite interesting. Anyway, according to Mudgett, Scotland Yard detectives visited the United States in search of the Ripper because they became suspicious and thought that he might be hiding out over in America. So Mudgett, his great-great-grandson, also believes that Holmes was the mysterious man 
behind the Whitechapel murders, masquerading as Jack the Ripper, as an alias to carry out these crazy crimes, just this sadistic inner nature, this monster that's trying to come out of this guy. He believes that Jack the Ripper carried out these five murders, killing five prostitutes in the east end of London, before escaping to the U.S. to dodge the British police who were on the lookout for him. Uh, he went on to say that he thought the investigation was aborted halfway, which helped Holmes get back to business once again in Chicago. So to support this claim, he submitted samples of handwritten texts from H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper for review. Experts reviewed the handwriting, and they confirmed that it is likely possible, it's a possibility, it's a very likely possibility, that the two samples could have been written by the same hand. So we're going to have questions about who Jack the Ripper was from now until end of time, probably. But the interesting thing was, on this documentary, if you happen to find this on TV with, with Mudgett uh, in there, he went to the site where the murder castle was built. And of course it's torn down. They're not going to leave some site like that up. Here's the, the weird thing, though. Like, there's a, an area of land, if they could get permission to excavate it, where they might find bone, people buried, that he killed. Because right there to the, is, uh, and on that site, is a post office. Creepy stuff. Anyway, what do you think? Jack the Ripper? H.H. H. Holmes, America's first, you know, serial killer, so to speak. Are they the same guy? It's very likely possible. So if you get an opportunity, um, like I said, go check out that book. Go find that documentary. And uh, what do you think? What do you think about this mystery? Um, yeah, if you have any thoughts on it, email me, cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, appreciate everybody listening here today. So on the next episode, Elizabeth Cooper will be back with us. Like I said, we're going to be talking about another unsolved sort of mystery that I just cannot wrap my mind around why someone would do something this insane. Yeah, it's a little teaser. Hey, if you get an opportunity, go check out my Substack, cyrusalderwood.substack.com. Subscribe. It's free. Uh, you can be one of the paid subscribers. Uh, and get some of the things that I don't make uh, available to anybody but paid um, subscribers. Some of my writings that I may uh, may be doing right now. Actually, some really interesting stuff, short stories on there that I started uh, with other writers on a weekly writing prompt. So go check it out. I think you'll uh, I think you'll like what you uh, what you see there. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on this and check us out on Cyrus Alderwood over on YouTube. Twitter, and I will see you on down the road.